Well, this is a dangerous place. The seats are more comfortable in here than they were in there. So I really have to be on my A-game for you guys today. Hey, thanks for being here, and I hope that you were able to adjust to the new time. And uh, so I expect you guys to be alert and awake because you slept in. The other guys were here at 845, and so uh, you guys got to show up a little bit, all right? I want to just encourage you, if you're not already engaged in serving some way at Connection Church, that you consider how you could be a part of what God's doing at this church. We need people. Now that we're in two services, it takes twice as many people to do what we do on Sunday. And so if you're not already a part of serving in some way with loading in, loading out, kids, greeters, ushers, whatever, we need your help. And so I would encourage you to consider taking a Sunday or two a month to serve one service and to work uh, and worship in another. So if you're not already doing that, please consider that. We need your help. Uh, we're also excited about what's going on in Belfouche. Uh, many of you have volunteered in the last week or so to be a part of one of those work days that we've had. And the building is shaping up and getting ready for Easter Sunday evening at 6 p.m. We'll be over there. And so uh, thanks for those who have been volunteering. And if you have not gotten a chance to do that and want to be a part of helping us get all that ready, uh, we need your help. We also need some people who would be willing to go from Spearfish uh, Sunday night or two a month and help out until we can get enough people in that church uh, to uh, help with kids and greeters and all that kind of stuff too. So there's plenty of places for you to get engaged and involved uh, so that the gospel can go forth. We're not just trying to fill a seat. We're trying to tell people about Jesus. And so if you want to be a part of that, please let us know. Put on your envelope. You want more information about how you can volunteer here or in Bell, and we'll get in contact with you. Um, we're going to be today in Exodus chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some people who'd be glad to bring one to you. If you'll just slip your hand up, uh, they'll bring you a Bible. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home with you uh, so that uh, you have a copy of God's Word. Um, I love this passage because it talks about the presence of God. And so today I want to put a phrase in your brain and uh, hopefully that you can walk away with today. And that phrase is this, God's presence demands our attention. Would you say that with me? God's presence demands our attention. Exodus chapter 3 is a story about God showing up and speaking to Moses. But I want to kind of give a little bit of the backstory of how we get to Exodus chapter 3. So uh, in Exodus chapter 1, the story of Joseph that we've been studying for the past several weeks kind of comes to a close. Joseph dies, but Joseph was in power. You remember, those of you who were here, that Joseph had risen to be the second most powerful man in the nation, second only to the Pharaoh. And uh, Joseph uh, and his family were blessed. God gave them great favor, even though they were Hebrews in, in Egypt, even though they were foreigners, God had blessed them there. And as the Pharaoh, uh, as they worked under the Pharaoh, there were good days, but that Pharaoh died and another one was put in power. And Joseph's family began to grow so much that he, he thought they were a threat. And so he, uh, the Pharaoh, decided uh, that I'm going to kill all Hebrew boys. 
under a certain age. And so he began to go in and do a slaughter. And that sounds very gory, and it is. But it was a common practice in that day of how a king might take out his enemy. He wouldn't just try to oppress them. He would actually kill them. And so uh, that was going on. And there was a Hebrew mother who uh, had a son. And his name was Moses, and he, she didn't want for him to die. And so she hid him away at the birth and uh, uh, hid the pregnancy and for three months kept Moses safe and finally be, just couldn't hide any longer. And so she packed him up in a basket and put him in the river. And uh, God's provision, God's plan, he, this little basket floated up to a place in the river where the Pharaoh's daughter would go to bathe. And she heard the baby cry, and she went and rescued the baby. And even though it was a Hebrew baby, it's, the Bible says that she had pity on him. And she took him in and said, we're going to rescue this, this young child. And uh, she said, go find me a nurse to take care of this baby. And uh, not by accident, God led them to Moses' mom. And Moses' mom was able to nurse her child and keep Uh, keep him safe. But Moses got the opportunity to grow up in the Pharaoh's house. He got to be in the king's palace. And so Moses grew up with great uh, uh, blessing and great uh, uh, things would happen in his life because of who he was and and, and his his provision of being uh, blessed in that way. But one day, Moses was out walking and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew striking him and, and, and hurting him. And Moses, in his own anger, went and killed the Egyptian, buried his body in the sand and tried to cover the whole thing up. And bad thing, his anger, he let it get out of, out of uh, control. And he tried to hide it. He tried to mask the murder, didn't want anybody. But word got out of what Moses had done. Moses got scared and he ran away. He ran back to his uh, to his father-in-law's house to try to get away from what he had done. You know, people oftentimes when they do things want to run away and pretend that it never happened. And that's exactly what Moses did. Moses ran away from the actions that he had committed. And that brings us to the story that we're in today. But so, so you know, Moses has run away. Moses is in a bad place in his life. But in Exodus chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, and I want you to begin by looking there, there's a very important passage of Scripture that I want to begin with in verse, chapter 2, verse 23. It says that during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I want you to hear this morning this, that when you cry out to God, that God hears your cries. That God, this is important because they had been in oppression and, and, and they had been uh, tormented by where they were and what was going on in their life, but God heard their cry. That's important. Because what's about to happen in Exodus chapter 3 is that God is going to stage one of the greatest rescues of all time. Look look at chapter 3. And in chapter 3, some pretty interesting things happen. Look with me in verse 1. It says, Now Moses 
was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this is a very important mountain. This is a very holy place. In fact, this is the place where God is going to eventually give his law. But Moses decided to go there. We don't, we don't know why he decided on his own, but we know that God was leading him. And that he, this was a special place and that God's going to bring him back to this place. And so this is going to be an important place in the life of Moses. And so God brings him there and he gets his attention by a burning bush. Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. You know, God is the God of all creation. And he decided that he was going to make himself known because God's presence demands our attention. And although this bush was burning, it was not consumed. And that is a, is, is a phenomenon for us that we can't understand. But you got to understand when you're God... You can do whatever you want. If you want to make a bush be on fire and not burn up, no big deal. You want to part a river, not a big deal. You want to create a sun uh, through a virgin, not a big deal. God can do whatever he wants. He created the earth by just speaking it into existence. God is the God of all creation and he can do whatever he wants to do. So the bush on fire, not burned up, no problem for God. But then in verse 3, I see a little humor and it's probably my twisted brain, but Moses sees this bush and then he makes this statement. I think I see a bush that is burning and not being burned up. I will stop and look at it. Duh. I mean, if you, if we all saw that, we'd like be, you know, amazed. Now, I mean, I don't know what girls do, but guys, we're all amazed by fire, right? I mean, we just like set stuff on fire. We want to burn stuff. I mean, I don't know if you do, but I mean, I'm not an arson or anything, but I really just like to see things burn, okay? So, I mean, I could sit by a fireplace for hours upon hours, and, you know, that's probably what my wife should buy me for Christmas because then I would never do anything wrong. I would just sit there and do that all day. Moses goes and he sees the bush and it's not being burned up, and he says, I think I will stop and look at it. Well, of course you will. Verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see... God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And when he said that, he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet for the place that you are standing is holy ground. You see, verse four says that God spoke. He called out Moses' name. In this Old Testament period, it's common for it to be repeated. Moses Moses. But what's interesting to me is that Moses immediately recognizes who is speaking to him, that it is God. If you're a parent, then you know that you can put your child in a room with 50 other kids, and when your child cries, you hear their voice. When your child cries out for help, when they cry out in pain, when they cry out even in anger, you recognize the sound of their cry. Why? Because you've heard that before. You've heard their cry. You recognize their voice, and it makes a connection to your heart. 
when God cried out to Moses, Moses recognized the voice of God because he was walking with God. Church, here's what I want you to understand. God may be speaking to you, and my question for you is, are you listening for the voice of God? Do you walk with God enough to know when God speaks to you? One of my greatest fears in my spiritual walk personally is that I might miss the voice of God when he speaks to me because I'm not listening. Scary. Moses didn't. He cries out and God speaks his name and his presence is unmistakable. But then in verses 5 and 6, God's presence demands our what? Attention. God's presence demands our attention. Verses 5 and 6, we see God saying, listen, you, you need to pay attention to where you are because you are in my presence. Take your shoes off because you are on holy ground. It was very common in the Middle Eastern culture to show respect and reverence by removing your shoes when you were in an important place with an important person. God says you are in the most important place. You are in a place where you need to pay attention. You need to have reverence and respect for me. One of the things that I think is the greatest tragedy of our day and time is that we live in a world that has no reverence or respect for the name or the glory of God. And it's a great tragedy. And church, we have to re-embrace that. When we are in God's presence, we need to recognize that we are not God, that He is God, and that when we come into His presence, it must be with reverence and respect. That doesn't mean you can't speak. It doesn't mean that you can't worship God freely. But what it does mean is that when you come into the Holy of Holies, you don't announce your presence by kicking the door in and saying, God, I'm here and here's what I want. You come in with the respect of saying, you are God and I am at your beckoning call. Whatever you want to do for me, through me, in me, I am here. Moses came with reverence and respect. He took his shoes off and then God said, listen, brother, you are on holy ground. Why was it holy? Because where the presence of God is, there is no sin. Where the presence of God is, there is no darkness. Where the presence of God is, there is no evil. You see, God's presence is, is an amazing thing. I'll tell you, I love being in the movie theater. And one of the reasons I love it is because on Saturday night, they show a movie in here. And there's popcorn on the floor and M&M's scattered all over the place. And somebody spilled a Coke back there. And then it's all cleaned up on Sunday morning. And we have church in here. You know why? God's presence is not geographically limited to a building. God's presence can be anywhere. And so I love it that this afternoon, this place will be filled with the movie. But today, right now, God's presence is in this place. And His glory fills this room because where two or three are gathered in His name, that He is here. So it's not because of what this building is labeled, but it's because of God's presence in here that makes it amazing. God said to Moses, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. And then I love verse 6. Let's, let's look at verse 6 because God said, by the way, I want you to make sure you remember who I am. Look at verse 6. And God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God said, I don't want you to mistake in any way to know who you're talking to. 
The God that you've heard that does miracles, that's me. The God that, that you have, have uh, worshipped, that's me. Not only do I want you, Moses, to know who I am, but I want my people to know who I am, that I am God, I am Yahweh, and I am here to get your attention. All the cool miracles you've ever heard about, that was me. All the amazing things that I've done for you, that was me. That's who you're talking to, and I want you to be very clear. And then in verse 7 and verse 8, God says, now, now that I've got your attention, now that you're reverent and respectful, now that your shoes are off, you know you're on holy ground, you're in the presence of the holy God, the only God, I want you to hear why I am speaking to you today. Look at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey to the, places, uh, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and whatever ites you want to add to that. God says, hey, I want you to know I heard your cry. Church, listen, God listens to your cries. He knows your heart. He knows when you're hurting. He knows when you are in crisis. He says to Moses, listen, you got to tell the people I've heard their cries. You got to tell them that I have a plan and I'm about to rescue them. God says, I know your circumstances. I've seen the affliction of my people. I, have, I, I know where they are. I know what's going on. And I am about to deliver them from captivity. And not only, this is, this is what I love about God. Not only am I going to deliver them from captivity, but I'm going to set them up in a way that they will know that there is no mistake that I am their God. I'm going to put them in a land that they could never dream up on their own. And I'm going to bless them because they are my people. Verse 9, Moses begins to scramble, excuse me, verse, uh, verses 9 and 10, God continues. He says, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have seen the oppression with which Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. You see, when God has a plan, he very often involves us. Engage with me this morning. I want you to listen. God involves you in his plan. You need to know he doesn't need you. He doesn't have to have us at all. God doesn't, God doesn't say, you know what? This isn't going to work if I don't involve Doug. Pfft, what a joke. He doesn't need me. He doesn't, I have nothing on my own that I can bring that God doesn't already have a billion times over. But what God does is he allows us to be a part of it. And for Moses, he said, listen, I'm going to use you to be the voice to my people. What I love about this is that Moses really wasn't planning on that. Up to this point, he's like, hey, that's a really cool plan. God's going to rescue us. We're not going to be, my people aren't going to, the people aren't going to be in slavery anymore. They're going to be set free. God's going to give them the land flowing with milk and honey. That's all awesome up to this point. And then the brakes go on. Oh, you want to use me? Uh, not really quite what I was planning. Look at verse 11. 
Moses says, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now he had grown up in Pharaoh's house, but he said, God, who am I? Why would you choose me? I mean, who am I in the scheme, big scheme of things? Why would you put me in this position to be your voice to the Pharaoh, to be your voice to your people? God, why, why not choose somebody else? Because that's what we all do, right? When our, our friends need to know Christ, what do we do? Well, God, can't, can't, can't you send the preacher over there? Can't you use somebody else who's, who has the gift of evangelism? Can't you, God, just use somebody else who maybe is better suited for that job, for serving? You know, it, 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 we, we, we are looking for other people to do what God is calling us to do. Guess what? God has a plan for your life. He has work for you to do, and it's not their responsibility to do your work. God wants you to be the voice to your friends. He wants you to be the one who serves him for his glory. Look at verse 12. And God said, but I will be with you. Very important words. Listen, if God calls you, guess what? God will be with you. If God wants you to step out in faith, guess what? He will be with you. He, he doesn't say, hey, here's what I want you to do, and let me know how it works out. What he says in verse 12 is, Moses, I want you to be the voice to my people. I want you to be the voice to Pharaoh. And in that moment, you need to know that you have the full backing and resources of all of heaven, of everything that I have within my power. I will be with you. Now, I don't know if that, what that means to you, but man, that's awesome. So if God's going to call me to do something that I think is risky and I'm not sure it's how it's going to work out, and he says, but listen, I will be with you. That allows us to be at peace. Because God doesn't need me, but I definitely need him. And in that moment, Moses gets the backing. He, he doesn't really like what he's heard. He, doesn't, he wanted it to be somebody else, somebody who was better looking, better equipped, better education, better background, whatever. But God says, listen, I will be with you and that's all you need. Verse 12. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He said, I'm not done with you yet. This is phase one in a multi-step plan. And I will be with you. When I call you, I will equip you. You see, God's power enables us to complete our calling. Can I just, for just a second, tell you this? If you're trying to do God's will without God, it's not God's will. If you're trying to do your plan without God, guess what? It's going to fail. You're not going to find success. You can get earthly results and miss God's success for your life. You see, what God wants you to hear and what he wants you to understand is that you need him way more than he needs you. He chooses to let you be a part of his process. Now, verse 13 is interesting because what, what, what he does in verse 13 is, is 
questions. I, I, Moses said, I just want to clarify, just in case I hadn't already gotten it, that it's the God of all creation, it's the God of my Father. It's, I, God, God I, I just want you to make sure that when I'm your spokesperson that I'm clear. Look at verse 13. And then Moses said to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, you need to understand that there was a little bit, uh, there, there could be some false gods involved in some of the people. They may have begun to worship the wrong person. And so Moses goes, I just want to be very clear. Who am I representing? What, which God am I talking about? Moses wanted to know for sure. And then in verse 14, God rocks his world. Look what he says, verse 14. It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. In those five words, God says, listen, you need to know that I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the only God I am the God of all gods. I am the Lord of all the universe. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. All creation is about me, for me, and created through me. When those people ask you who you represent, you need to tell them that I am sent you. In my mind, Moses probably went. That's a really good answer. That's that's. I think Moses was looking for an out. I think he was trying to look for an excuse not to do this. And when he understood, I will be with you and I am who I am. I'm the only God you need. I'm the only God that matters. I'm the only God who's in control of all things. And so when they ask you who's in charge, you need to know that you represent me, that I am standing behind you, I am standing with you, I will equip you, I will bless you, I'll provide for you, I will open doors that you cannot open on your own. I am who I am. Church, listen, the God that we serve is I am. The God that we honor today is I am, and he is I am who I am, the only God. He has repeated his name in this phrase because he said, this is all you need. It's one phrase, repeated twice, end of the sentence, no more question. The world wants to know who God is. Listen, I am is the only God. There is no other. So he says to Moses, you want to know where it all falls down? It stops right here. When you clarify who you serve, it is I am who I am. And then God says, here's my promise. When you follow me, when you do my work, verse 15, here's how it's all going to work out. And this is, this is so amazing because God could have just done the bare minimum. God could have just said, I'm going to set them free from captivity. We're just going to let you guys go and you know scatter out and find another land and be good. But this is how God works. God always blesses like a king does more than he has to. God has the riches of the whole universe and he proves that he is in control of all things. Look at verse 15. It says, God also said to Moses, Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent you. This is my name forever. And thus I will be remembered throughout all generations. 
Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you, the elders of Israel, shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor uh, in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you will not go empty. But each woman shall shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and you shall plunder the Egyptians. God says this, listen, my plan is greater than yours. And not only am I going to just set you free, the Egyptians are going to send you out with a bankroll. I'm going to set you up. You're going to be going to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm going to set you up with all the riches of that land. Because I know that the Egyptians aren't, Egyptians aren't going to just set you free, so I'm going to break them down. Next week, we'll talk about the plagues that are about to happen, the 10 plagues that God put on that country. And he said, when I'm done with them, they'll be so ready to get rid of you that they'll pay you to leave. You see, God's plan wasn't just to set them free, but it was to bless them for years to come. You see, God's plan is always better than our plan. Pastor, what does this mean for me? I don't live in Egypt. I'm not in slavery. I want you to know, God's presence demands your attention. The first thing I want you to recognize today as we close is this, that God hears the cries of his people. God knows where you are. Some of you this morning are on the mountaintop and everything is good in your life. God hears your prayers. Some of you are in the deepest, darkest, hardest valley, and God hears your prayers. Some of you are kind of in between. God hears your prayers. God God hears your cries, and He wants to deliver you. You see, God cares about what's going on in your heart and your life. For some of you, you got questions about your future. You got questions about your job. You got questions about finances. You got questions about relationships. You got a marriage that is, that is in trouble. You, you got all kinds of things that are going on in your world. I want you to know that God cares. And when you cry out to Him, He listens. One of the things that I love so much about this scripture is that God says he knew. Chapter 2, verse 23 and following says that God knows that he heard their cry and he knew their affliction. The second thing is this, is that God speaks clearly and wants you to hear his voice. The problem with our society today is that it's hard to find silence and solitude. For most of us, if I was just to be quiet for 60 seconds, you'd get nervous and begin to make noise. You know why? We've been conditioned not to be silent. 
I had a friend who took a retreat to try to be silent, to hear God. And, and he, he called me back after we were talking about how his retreat went. He said, you know what, Doug? It took me three days to get the noise out of my head. He said, I turned the cell phone off. I turned the computer off. I turned the, the, the world off. But there was so much going on in my mind that it took three days for me to stop the noise and to hear the voice of God. Church, you need to have a place in your world where you stop the noise and you listen to what God is saying to you. Because God is a God that speaks clearly. And God is a God that speaks to our hearts. But we must be listening. And I'll be real honest with you. Many times when I want to hear the voice of God, God is so amazingly silent. His timing is never mine. I mean, I, I want him to speak to me now and I want to know the answer now. And God just says, you know what? I'll tell you when I'm ready. Ah, but God, I want to know now. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to do what you want me to do. And God says, just be patient. When I speak, you'll know it. And it'll be the best plan. God speaks clearly. He's not trying to hide from us. He wants us to know his will. The third thing is this, that God's presence, God's presence demands our attention. We need to find a place in our world where we with reverence and respect can come before God. Because listen, God deserves our honor. God deserves our praise. And so we need to get into the attitude and the action of honoring God with our life, to approach God with reverence. There needs to be a place in your world where you can create holy ground because where God's presence is, that's where it is holy. And it's not just in a building. It's not just on Sunday morning at a worship service. It's a time in your life where you say, I'm shutting everything else off. I'm going to get away and I'm going to listen to what God wants to say to me. We need to seek out that holy ground. We need to observe it. We need to embrace it. Instead of defiling it or exploiting it or missing it, we need to be in the presence of the I am. You see, I am is the only God. If we're honest, you and I, have other little false gods in our world. Things that we worship with our time, with our resources, with our attention. We may say, I only serve God, but if we're honest, in our world, there are things that we devote our heart to. Listen, I am who I am means He's the only one that deserves our respect. He's the only one that deserves our attention, our time, our resources in our life. You see, what I want you to know this morning is that God knows your situation. Can I just encourage you? You are not alone. Every week, I have people who come and say, Pastor, it's tough. I'm going through hard times. I don't know what the answers are. I don't know what's next. I don't know where I should go and what I should do. And, and I want to hear the voice of God. Listen, God knows your situation. And he wants to speak to you, but you have to listen. You have to be paying attention to what he has to say. And then the, the third thing this morning that I want you to hear is this. God wants to rescue you. 
If I was to ask you this morning what the most dangerous fish in the ocean would be, many of you would say a shark, okay? Shark's pretty nasty. If you've ever been to a pool of sharks and watched them be fed, that's a pretty gruesome thing. There's not much nicety going on. It's just every man for himself. They're, they're tearing away and, and it's ripping. If you've seen somebody who's been attacked by a shark, I mean, we have respect because that's a nasty animal. And if, and if, you, if, if, if I was on the edge of a, a tank and, and I was about to fall in, I would hope that I had enough friends that they would keep me from falling in. Why? Because if I fell in that water, if I began to jump in that water, those sharks would not go, mm, nice guy, we're not going to eat him, Right? They would go to town, lunch is here, let's go after it. It's a big guy, big meal, okay, let's get, let's have lunch. So we know, we think we know where the danger is. But did you know that the shark is not even in the top two most dangerous fish in the ocean? There are two fish that the list that I found had them, had ahead of them. There's a fish called a stonefish, ugly it's an ugly fish. It looks like a rock. And it's often stepped on by divers because they don't see it. And they don't recognize that it's dangerous. There's also a, a fish called a box. Let me pronounce it right. A, a box uh, jellyfish. And it looks really, you know, this big blob. You see a jellyfish. It's just, it doesn't look dangerous. Those two fish... Experts say are much more dangerous than the shark, mainly because nobody sees it coming. Here's, this problem, here's the problem with our world. Many of us stay away from the shark tank because that, we know what happens if somebody falls into the shark tank. We know the danger of that animal. But we're surrounded by stonefish and box jellyfish and we think we're safe and we think we've got everything figured out and we think that we know where the danger is and I want you to know that the devil is a great deceiver and what he has done to you and what he has done to me and what he has done to the whole world has given us a false sense of security that we're okay and as long as we stay in this tank and around these fish that we're good and there's nothing going to be wrong when we're really at the point of death and don't even know it. Why do we take the gospel to spearfish? Why do we continue to share how Jesus is the only one by which salvation can come? Why do we want to take the gospel to another city, to another area, to another country? It's because the world doesn't know that they're in danger of dying without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so as much as we can, we are screaming that they need to be rescued by the only one that can rescue them, and that's Jesus. They need the Redeemer to come and rescue them. They need for Him to step in the gap for them and to take them out of that dangerous situation and bring them to safety. Because if we were, they were in a pool of sharks, we'd all be screaming and yelling. But what Satan has deceived us is to say, you know what, the world's not that bad. That's a good person. You know, they're nice. Can I be really honest? Nice people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Rescued people go to heaven. You can be nice and spend eternity in hell. That's why we scream from the mountaintops that Jesus is the only Savior and without Him there is no hope of salvation. 
Church, here's what I want you to know today. You may be in a place where you need to be rescued and God is the only one who can do that. You may be in the place where you are the one who is heralding, who is telling the gospel, the good news, that if you don't get, uh, if you don't get out of the dangerous place that you're in, that you're going to lose your life and you're going to spend an eternity in a place that's horrible. It's our hope that people will find their need to be rescued. So if you're here today and life is in a bad spot, God hears your cries and he wants to rescue you. If you say, Pastor, life's not perfect, but I'm on the right path. Listen, God wants to use you to be the good news of rescue for someone else so that they can find Jesus. Here's the thing. (laughs) We're surrounded by stonefish and box jellyfish and we're in real danger and don't even know it. Today, Would you surrender your heart, let God open your eyes, and see that you need to be rescued?